Hey guys, you're listening to episode 84 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. My name is Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're talking to Andy Serafini, a financial planner from Maryland with 38 years of experience. Andy has a passion for generosity and a wealth of experience in shepherding clients through many of life's major decisions in a biblical context. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that everything we do here on the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of this podcast and want to help us get the message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. With that, let's get to the interview. All right, we have Andy Serafini joining us today. Thank you so much for taking some time to just share a little bit about yourself, Andy. Yeah, very honored to be here. So thank you for the invitation. Can you get us started and uh, give us a little bit of background on your upbringing and your spiritual background? Sure. I was a good kid. I was a compliant child. Uh, I don't have any terrible background stories to tell you. I grew up in the church, but I grew up in a what you'd call today a mainline church. And I grew up believing and hoping that I would be good enough someday, that there were scales out there that, you know, I hopefully would tip to the favor and that God would you know, look uh, favorable upon me. And, you know, happy to do that. Thought I was checking the boxes, acolyte and all the stuff that you did as a young person and not really a bad person comparatively, I guess. I lived in, you know, a healthy fear of parents that loved me, but also disciplined me. But I was in college. I thought I would be a football player someday, which I was too small, too slow, too weak. But other than that, I, I really was ready to go. And uh, <laughs> a roommate of mine uh, that we had both grown up in similar backgrounds, we got invited by two young, attractive ladies that were going to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes huddle. And we didn't care about the huddle or Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They were very nice girls, and we thought they were interested in us, and we found out that they were, but it was only spiritual. And thankfully, God used them in this invitation for us to hear something different we had never heard before about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this this was very new to us. And it was clear that a lot of events were happening in both of our lives, my roommate and I, to pull us to this. Interestingly enough, I started to date my eventual wife about that time. Now, her path had been very different. She grew up in a evangelical church she went to Wheaton College. She really was far, far ahead of me. And as we started talking and dating, I realized, boy, she had something I didn't. So it was the confluence of what I was hearing in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and, um, you know, the woman I was dating at the time, eventually my wife, that really caused me to say, okay, wait a minute, something's very real here. And it was on a bus uh, to visit her in Chicago where I got news of a gentleman I knew that had recently passed. And it really struck me that he, I was very concerned where he was. If the Bible was true, and I believe that it was, then he was not in a good place. He was not, did not have that relationship. So I don't know, somewhere between Western Pennsylvania and Chicago, I gave my life to Christ. And it, you know, obviously it changed everything. You know, I was in college still. You know, I take my Bible with me to the library thinking I'd study and I spent the whole time reading my Bible. My roommate and I would stay up till one or two o'clock in the morning talking about what we had read that day. We had a, a gentleman that was in the San Francisco Giants farm system. And, you know, in the off season, he came to college and he said these minor league baseball players didn't have anything else to do. So they just studied the Bible all day. And he was an amazing leader for us. So that really was my path to faith and God brought those things together. And I, I'm so thankful uh, for that. Tell us a little bit about your career, maybe some of how God brought you to where you are today. Well, that's another one. Yeah, I, I, I've said, you know, I've married over my head for sure. So I graduated college and my wife was already teaching at Wheaton Academy out in West Chicago. So he had a job. I graduated, moved out there and, you know, started looking for work. Well, as it turns out, she was teaching and coaching the children of a gentleman that owned a very large financial services firm. 
I thought I was going to manage nursing homes. I was a business management major. And magically, for some reason, when I applied, I got a job. I don't, I, his children were good enough. They didn't need that for them to play on the team. They were good. Uh, but that was my path. I, I did have a business degree. I never had thought about financial services. This was a Christian man and a Christian organization, and it was amazing. And the beauty of it is entry level for me, great job. But we knew we wanted to move back east close to family. And so once again, God's hand was in that because I came back and I was interviewing. Fortunately, this firm in Chicago licensed me, which was a big deal. It's a long process. It can be expensive. Cody understands this. And so I was already licensed, which was a leg up. I interviewed at two firms and the one wasn't a workout. And the other one, boy, we'd love to hire you, but we just hired somebody. So I was a little disconcerted. I'd flown in hoping we could move back home and start a family. And one of the, the ladies in that firm said, you know, I have another friend at this firm across the street. I know you weren't planning on it, but why don't I see if they'll talk to you? Well, not only did they talk to me, they hired me. Now that was a completely out of the left field, you could say, but it's a God thing. And it certainly worked well. And uh, from that, we were able to move back here, start a family, uh, be around family here with my parents and, uh, and my wife's family. And it was a great thing. It was an old wirehouse. You know, I was a stockbroker, a term we don't use anymore. And, you know, they used to call it dialing for dollars. I would just, I sent out 4,000 pieces of mail and no one ever called me from any of those pieces of mail. But I would call them and follow up and say, hey, would you like to, you know, visit and talk? And so that was the beginning of what now has been a, a career of 37 years or more. Andy, did you think about, as you progressed through your career, what faith had to do with the way that you worked? Yes, absolutely. I have been involved over the years with Christian Businessmen's Committee, they call themselves, and it was interesting to talk to other men. You know, I'm old enough that, you know, I grew up with Larry Burkett and then Ron Blue and, and the groups, and it, it, it's amazing as we age that we see biblical truths lived out in the lives of people we're interacting with. And so the idea that you start to interject that and you start to have the conversation with people, and, and you're, we just caught running the flag up the pole. You're talking about biblical faith-based concepts to people. You don't always, you know, chapter and verse them if they're not of faith, but will you find a connectivity? You know, I started out to say this is a Christian firm. I started my own firm after five years in the business. And, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to work here. Most of my employees are. I tell them we're going to pray before our, you know, our, our staff meetings. We're going to, you know, we have, this is an interesting thing. I was invited to speak at Liberty University. My daughter, one daughter was a, a CFP student there. And, and I was thinking, what am I going to tell these CFP students down there? Well, over the years, it's come to the point where we have tissue boxes in our conference rooms. Because when you're talking to people about their finances, it's very, very real. It's very, very raw sometimes, right? To, to expose yourself financially to another person and really talk about it. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes. We f call ourselves life planners because we're walking people through the birth of a child or the purchase of a home or education, you know, retirement, and sadly, many times the passing of one of the spouses. I've been doing this 37 years. If my clients were in their 60s when I started, we're doing 12 to 14 estates a year and loving on those families and speaking to them in that. They need biblical truth. And two things real quick come to my mind. There was a gentleman that, that told the story of going to the bank in 1929 and people telling him, don't worry, it's closed. And his money was gone. He was praying over his, his meal that evening with his one daughter and he had 17 cents in his pocket. And he remembered praying, Lord, if you help me out of this, if you'll be with me, I'll make sure that I you know, provide for my family. And later in life, he said to me, he said, you know, Andy, if you have your health, you have everything. The money doesn't really matter. You know, that's a Solomon thing, right? The rich and the poor, the end is the same. But that idea of starting to say to people, this money, the biblical term, right? It's just a tool. 
And, and if you get too consumed with it, it's not going to bring satisfaction to you of having them understand this is just a tool to do the things that, that God has called you to do. You know, I tell everybody, this is an interesting one. Retirement is not a biblical term. We're not made for that. So you may get to a point where you don't have to work in your current vocation. Maybe you don't even have to work for money anymore, but you need a purpose in your life. God has created for your purpose. And Rick Warren's great book, right? Purpose Driven Life, the first line is, it's not about you. And, and that's, a, that's a powerful thing to say. God has blessed you. This money has come through you. You know, frankly, I'm certainly not the smartest guy around, and yet God has enabled me to have funds flow through me, right? Uh, we're called fiduciaries. That's a big thing in our industry. I went through a special certification called, you know, a, a certified accredited investment fiduciary. And we are all fiduciaries of what God has given us. And to understand it's not ours, someone's going to live in your house. Your car is going to end up in the metalworks place someday. And as we talked a little earlier, you know, who will remember us a generation or two? If your grandkids remember much about you, you really did something. So how do we look at money? How do we look at our lives and say this is this is an eternal perspective that we need to keep in mind as we're interacting? And so whether the client is a Christian or a person of faith or not, the same principles, the same concepts, and it seems counterintuitive, right? I'm a surgeon. I only make money if I operate, right? I only make money if I manage your money, but I'm encouraging you to give it away. I'm encouraging you to, to not accumulate because it's, it's not going to make you happy. It's, it's to use it in, in expressing love and giving away to family or others in a way that, that glorifies God, but also fills that void in your heart that you were meant to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm interested in kind of some of that context. You spoke earlier about some of your faith roots and where God really started to get your attention on the faith side. Where did generosity start to come into the story? Where did God start to get your attention kind of on the financial and stewardship side? of? Yes. And there's a dual track with this as I was thinking about this. So I have over my life had probably, I, I stopped counting at about eight or 10. I've had pretty major surgeries, four and five hour surgeries. I've had digestive challenges over the years, which led to all kinds of other things. And that's done a couple things for me. Number one, it's, it's brought me back to what's important. You know, I was in Johns Hopkins for a long time and you can feel sorry for yourself till you look down the hall and see a young person with an IV pole and no hair. And then you say, all right, Lord, I, I get it. You know, maybe this is difficult. But what happened early in my career and in our business, when you're kind of running your own business, you can take off all the vacation you want. It's not paid. So I had back to back pretty serious surgeries where I had to be off six weeks within six months. And after the first one, as I'm coming out of the anesthesia and everything, my wife leans over and says, hey, surprise, we're pregnant with number two, okay? And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to be off work six weeks, no pay coming in. She's pregnant with number two, and then six months later, unfortunately, I had to go back and do it again. My my wife was running the, the finances at that time just because of some of this, and she came to me. She said, you know, we're in trouble. We're really not in a good place. Uh, even though I'm a financial guy, I'm trying to build a business and it was difficult. And we didn't really talk broadly about it, but somebody in our church, and to this day, I don't know who it was, gave us money. And it was a little over $1,000, which back then made all the difference to us in the world. And I have to tell you, it was an interesting lesson for me because it really bothered me for a while. Who did, who gave that money? I got to find that. I got to pay them back, right? I was I was the guy, if you did something for me, I had, I had to do it back and a little better right away. And my health problems in that one were two times where I had to learn to be a gracious receiver. That was hard for me. But then that said to me, Lord, you have blessed me through this person. They are your instrument. And I now need to do that. I don't like pay it forward kind of concept. I hear that. But it was it was an inspiration to me to say, Lord, I want to do that for other people. I know what that meant to my wife and I in that time. And I would want to be that person that you would use, use me as a tool to help somebody else 
in that situation. And that really opened my eyes. And there's another part that happened about that time too. My wife's sister was a little younger. She married a gentleman that, that, that is from an amazing family of missionaries. And they are mostly in Africa. They've been in other parts of the world. They are just, they are amazing. The one couple are Wycliffe Bible translators. They live in a really scary part of the world in Africa, very dangerous for them. They live very modestly. She can do simultaneous translation in seven languages. Think about that. She's, she's a brilliant person. But all she wants to do is give people the Bible in their language. That said to me, where do I give, Lord? Well, right there. These are people I've now interacted with. I've, I've been able to spend time with them. And if I can partner with them, and, and they, you know, they grew up there. She said, you don't understand the culture. You don't know the languages I know. But I can't be here unless you do what you're doing and support us. And wow, to be any part of that team with them, wow, crazy. Uh, I, you know, this is, these are people that live very modestly. You know, I said, hey, is there anything you need one time? I would love a shower. What do you mean a shower? What's well, a bag that holds water that we lay out in the sun and then we hang in a tree? Okay, that's what she asked us to do for her. So that, that was so cool. You know, when they told me they prayed for me every day, I'm just sitting, wow. So there's one, right? There, then they have a, a, a nephew, and he's in a school that missionaries send their kids. Okay, wow, we know you. Let's be part of your team. Let's help you. Let, let's, let's be part of that. You know, I, I got saved through FCA. I, I support three different FCA missionaries because I know what that was for me, right? Somebody supported the people that reached out to me back in the day. So why wouldn't I do that? You know, the, the reality that I challenge myself with, too, is, it. you know, what's enough? What's the right now, right? We always, people ask that question. And my thing is, am I sacrificing? Am I doing without something? You know, we all catch ourselves, wow, that's a nice car. I'd like to have that or that's a whatever. I think it's good sometimes to say, no, I don't have that because I'm I'm part of this group that's doing this in the world, right? Or that's that's somewhere being a part of that. So the question that, that we had you know, looked at before, where do you give? Well, God has brought people right across my path, right? I didn't, I didn't have to go searching for them. Our church prayed when it started 50 years ago that we would have, you know, somebody out of our church go to be a missionary. And, and sure enough, you know, there's a, there's the one girl that was in our youth group. We used to go on ski trips with her, her and her husband in Uganda. They were just home not too long ago. All right, Lord, we need to step up and help them. We need to be part of what they're doing. They're, you know, the granddaughter of the first pastor of our church there in Senegal, you know, wow. Hey, there's another girl. We know her, right? My, my wife and, and, and sister-in-law knew, knew them. Hey, let's be a part of them. You know, we know them. And so I don't have to go and wonder who they are. We know the families and we know where they are. We get to be a part of them. And I'm sorry to say this this way, but one of the missionaries say, we wouldn't be on the field without you. Now, that's heavy. That's heavy. Because one thing that breaks my heart is that we have people that have gone through the schooling and the language school and the training, and they're ready to go on the mission field, but they can't because they don't have the funding. Now, that should never be because we have, we have the funding. We have the money, right? I can't speak English very well, so I'm not going to be very good at French or, you know, Lingala or any of the other languages. But these are people that are willing to leave family and friends and go to far off places. And sometimes where medicine's not readily available, so their kids could really have troubles if they had basic things where here we just go down to the pharmacy and they're willing to do that. How is it that we can't make sure that they're funded? You see the melt too, right? We hear this missionaries that go away for a while and, and three or four years aren't home. They lose donors over time. And then they have to come back and really cart their kids all over creation to visit with people, to try to tell their story that they might be supported again. That's a heartbreaker for me. Andy, you hit on a couple uh, really important dynamics and, and it's just evident in the way that you are speaking that you don't position yourself in this relationship as the benevolent provider to people out in the field, but instead you recognize that 
you can give because you first received, whether that's from another individual or family or from God himself. Everything has been given to you that you've been given to manage, and you have that responsibility and opportunity to just let it go right through your account and out the other side. And I think that's a really important distinction. And the second part is he's provided opportunities for you to get connected into the things that are important to God. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how supporting these types of efforts financially has brought your heart closer to the things that are important to God. Yes. There's a book by a sadly about one of our former leaders that was a little disgraced called the grand weaver and talking about how, you know, with, with the loom and, and they're weaving and you can't see it. Right. I did cross stitch once for whatever reason, and it kind of looked okay on the front, but it looked terrible in the back. And, it, and a person that really does cross stitch front and back look really clean and God's fingerprints and that thread is through all of this. So these stories just keep rolling. If you're, if you're seeing, if you're looking for him, so I have, I have four children, two boys and two girls, and my third child, second son was, you know, we're very blessed. They're all saved. That's, that's the, you know, the first thing that you're looking for, but he was, he was having success in business, but my kids went to a private Christian school and they'd all gone on missions trips. And, and my son through our school and our church both went down into Costa Rica and they went to the same missionary down there and they went to the same orphanage. And, you know, he went the first time. And these kids, if you've ever done it, they lock on you. Right? They, they see you, they pick you and boom, you're theirs. And they just lock and love on you the whole time. And we had these hats that I had sponsored a soccer team. And my son gave one to this one little boy. So he goes back like two years later and it turned out same missionary, same everything. And here's this kid still has the hat on. Okay. And he locks in on him. So fast forward a little ways forward. And my son is doing really well as a a manager in a music store and they're liking him and they're promoting him. But he had promised this missionary when he could someday, he'd go back and spend a month with him. And so my son goes back and he spends a month with him and he comes home. He says, you know, dad, they were talking to me about this promotion here and there. I'm going into full-time ministry. I got to do it. Okay. So my son's a pastor now. Okay. And so this missionary, right, he's pulling kids out of the sex trafficking down in Costa Rica. I mean, the stories, you know, I, I'm, you can tell I'm struggling, um, but it's sad. And so, hey, you going to support him? Sure. Is he saying to me, hey, Andy, I have a, I have a chance to, to purchase a building. So we can get these kids out. You know, he just sent me a text today. I saved two more kids, right? So, hey, God, if I can be a part of that to a guy that changed my son's life at some level, yeah. You know, I'm sorry, but I keep doing this. My daughter goes down to see the same guy and she comes home and says, what happened to his shoes we bought you? Dad, that little girl didn't even have any shoes. Generational. So I... I didn't know who this guy was. You know, I knew my kids were going down there. That's nice. They're telling these great stories. But man, God used him in my son's life. You know, I coached a little bit for my kids' schools. And I always said to them, listen, I'm telling you the same thing your parents are telling you, but you're not listening to them. Maybe you'll listen to me. And here's a guy that, that you know, to have another adult Christian and really pour into your kids is an amazing thing. And then for him to come to me and say, hey, I have this opportunity to save the lives of young kids. And I mean, you should know, too, Yeah, one time he was out doing ministry and they came in and stole from his family. And it was scary. OK, so this guy's there's there's people in positions that don't like what he's doing. And yet he's still doing it. He's not stepping away from it. There's people that are making money on what he's fighting against. And yet he's still doing it now. Could I do everything he's doing? I don't know. But if I can, if I can work my job or use my money with my wife and I's commitment, I'm going to support that guy. I didn't know who he was, but I, I, I watched what he's doing. I saw what he did in my son's life, and I, I can never thank him enough. You know, I'm very blessed. My son's a, a pretty gifted speaker, and, and maybe attorney will be changed in somebody's life because my son 
stepped away from a career that was successful and went into full-time ministry because this gentleman poured his life into it. I'm going to love on that guy, pray for him and support him all I can. And let me turn this to another thing that I, I, I really felt compelled about. So I'm old. I've been in business a long time and I'm really in the process of exiting. And you had somebody else earlier in one of your conversations talk about this. There was a possibility for me to receive some compensation for my business. And I had been struggling for four or five years and praying, saying, Lord, when I retire, how can I make sure I can maintain the support of these missionaries? You know, how can I do that? How can I set up a legacy that will continue maybe even beyond my lifetime? Because I can't say, hey, guys, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm not still working and, and making, you know, the money. I, my business has been transitioned to two of my younger partners. And sorry, my revenue is not quite what it was. So I have to cut. I, man, that bothered me. So there's a thing called a donor advised fund. And, and, and when the program came through and worked out, we were able to fund into that. And now, you know, we, we forward funded for a while, right? And something happens to my wife and I, you know, we know that we'll be able to fund them beyond our lifetime. And, and that's my challenge to retirees and people when they pass, right? Don't forget to be generous past your lifetime and past your working years. Build into your budget the idea that you're still going to support these missionaries. You're not going to say, hey, sorry, guys. I'm retiring. You're going to have to retire too. Or, you know, hey, the Lord has called me home. You know, sorry. Plan that. Put that in there. There's ways to do that. Some people use life insurance. You know, they buy life insurance and then they fund a, a trust or, a, you know, a charitable trust or something like that. Or they just give it to the institution or to the, the mission agency. Those are things that I really wrestled with. And man, God brought it you know, I wasn't looking for this. This whole program came out of the blue for me two years ago. And it sure did something that was on my mind. And, you know, I just need to get out of God's way. Let's be honest, right? Just be humble enough to say, I didn't think of that. I would have never maybe thought of that, but he, he made it happen. And I, once again, that's the beauty of what you guys are doing, because I thought it, it came through and, and you've had people on your program talking about doing that same thing. Because we have a generation of people, boomers, they're going to sell their businesses or move out. It's happening. It's going to continue to happen. And what do you do with that? Right? And I, I, I'm going to tie into another thought with you guys, too, here is uh, there's a real balance for us that have been blessed about how do we enjoy or, you know, love on our kids financially and not enable and that is a that is a really scary thing. Okay, my parents loved me. My wife's parents have been, you know, my dad passed many years ago, and my father-in-law has been a spiritual mentor to me. But we're not sitting waiting for the inheritance. Okay, it's not it's not happening, and that's fine. I told my mom, spend your money. If I sit and wait for you to die to spend your money, I've lived a sorry life. But we have to know that that's an okay thing, right? We should stand on our own. We should be able to do that. We can help our children and grandchildren, possibly, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to be careful that we don't enable. I've seen that, and I've seen that be a really dangerous and bad thing for people that inherit more money than they can handle. And it is a challenge for us to, to see the biblical standpoint of care for your children, bring them up in the nature and admonition of the Lord, but also help them stand on their own. Yeah, man, so many good points in that. So I wanted to just make a, one comment on what you were talking about earlier about being connected to the kingdom, to what God is doing through the act of giving and supporting. And, you know, sometimes I think people wonder when the Bible says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. You know, if you think about that for a second, you can get in your head about that. What does that actually mean? How do you store treasure in heaven? Where, how, where's the exchange rate on that? And so I think exactly what you are saying is a perfect demonstration of that. And I think you said it earlier, you know, our, whatever car you're driving today is going to be rusted in a lot one day. Your house 
even after however many families live in it, one day it's going to be leveled to make room for something else. Everything that we purchase, material things, is going to be gone. That's the moth and rust destroy part. Uh, but you know what will last is those children that you have been through this line a part of their life in some way who have been pulled off the streets by one of these missionaries that you support one day you may meet one of these or many of these children in heaven and you'll be putting those dots together about how god weaved that story together that's eternal treasure you'll be sharing stories with many of these different missionaries that you have been a part of their lives and the work that they're doing and will meet the people that they have brought into relationship with Christ and will get to spend eternity sharing stories and glorifying God through what he has woven together. That's the eternal treasure that is is by no means a burden. And I think anybody who thinks of that as a burden is completely missing the whole story. That is a freedom in being a part of that and, and being invited into that. And I think everything that you shared perfectly demonstrates that. Yeah. Thank you. And, and once again, we're a team and my wife and I, you know, uh, she made more money than I did when I w- we were first married. Okay. And I thought I was a modern guy and that wouldn't bother me. It bothered me, which was silly, but <laughs> it, you know, frankly, guys, you know, Cody, I'm giving away an industry secret here, right? But we just kind of get close at stuff, right? We're not exacting people. And, you know, we try to get good returns. We try to do that. There's some science behind it. But it's God has given me uh, an amazing woman that really has partnered with me, that has challenged me and has said, hey, we can, we don't need that, right? We don't need that. I remember living in Chicago and pulling up next to a Jaguar. Cars are my weakness. And I looked, wow, what a nice, you know, and I'm in my little, my wife's Toyota Corolla. Okay. But I looked over and it had a rust spot it because they put so much salt on the roads because of the snow in, in Chicago, everybody's car rust. I thought, you know, his Jaguar is rusting just like my Toyota Corolla. And, and, and that was a good image for me to see that. So it, it's been neat to partner with my wife that we get to be a part of it. You know, chariots of fire. And I feel God smile when I run. He said that my wife and I get to be a part of that. You know what I'm saying? And they're thanking us. I'm like, don't thank me. It's God's money. He just used me as the tool. This isn't us. It's just so cool that we get to be a part of it. That's the amazing thing. It's so neat to be able to to help people, you know, just to, just to encourage them. Sometimes a word of encouragement, sometimes to let them pray. Those are important. I don't want to miss that. Every missionary says, please pray for us. And if you can support us, great. But you know, I think the prayers of that widow that, that, that is shut in her home and can't go, man, that's rocking the world because it's it's real. It's the widow's might sometimes, right? My father came from not a lot of money, so we had great Christmases and great birthdays because he kind of, I want to say, made up for that. And it was hard for me when I became an adult and the birthday parties weren't about me anymore. You know, that, it was always, and, and then it was, hey, that's okay. Let, let me try to, you know, give my kids something or give my wife something that shows what they mean to me, right? Or just spend time with them as a way to do it. So that reverse the better, it's better to give than receive that that's resonates, I think, in our soul sometimes. And I think that's a powerful thing. We're just trying, listen, let it go, right? Whatever you think you're accumulating. And and if you think that's going to make you happy, it will not. So let's just, let's help you skip that whole step. Let's just get past that. That's what you guys are all about, right? Let's say, hey, I, I can live at a, at a lower level and still be very happy. You know, my wife and I, the first apartment we lived in was $170 a month. It was only two rooms. The, the sulfur smell out of the water was the nastiest thing. It had a yellow film around it. And yet we were never happier in our lives. We didn't have anything. We used to rent a, a movie for a dollar and go down to the Christian school office and lay on the floor and watch it on a VHS and pop popcorn. And and it was awesome. And so those are the things that are real, right? Those are the times that we should remember. We didn't have anything and we didn't care. It was okay. So it's just passing through our hands and that we get to be a part of it and and be a part of that team is just really I think, powerful for us to see. 
I, I want to go back to uh, something else you were talking about regarding uh, inheritance and how to kind of manage that process wisely. So you're a financial advisor, and you've also done a lot of thought about this yourself from a faith perspective. And so I would love to hear what you would tell somebody coming from a Christian background, faith background, recognizing that everything they have is not theirs, and says to you, hey, I'm trying to plan out you know, my next couple of decades and what everything is going to look like after I pass. How do I do that well? How do I do that thoughtfully and with really God and stewardship at the forefront of that thought? What would you say to them? It's interesting. There's a Supreme Court justice years ago and said, you should pay everything you owe, but not a penny more. So sometimes, and, and Cody has seen this and, you know, we work with estate planners and stuff. I want to, you know, we're going to be up barred. We're going to have integrity, but let's, let's keep Uncle Sam out of your pocket as much as possible. And there are definitely clear ways to do that. Let's be smart in how we do this. We know that there was tax changes a couple of years that, that raised the estate level, but they're going to expire. And you have to keep in mind, there's going to be politicians that don't have to actually vote for it and taxes will increase. So some of these strategies and stuff that we've used before. So let's be wise, right? Let's, let's say, hey, if it's possible that I can avoid taxes by giving, right? Great. Some people do it only for the tax strategy. I'm sorry, you know, God bless you. But let's say I can, I can enrich the kingdom because our founders, you know, part of the, the separation was to say, hey, let's let people fund the church. You know, I, I saw a quote. I, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to just read this because it's interesting that a lot of times people that give are the happiest people ever, right? They really are. This Re Rebecca McLaughlin has had this new book, 12 Questions for Christians. And it's really good. And it talks some about those things that, that say people that give are the happiest people. So let me go back and say, we're all going to die someday. And the idea of once again saying, you know, we say to people, and you've probably heard this too in our industry, there's three types of money. There's your now money. Hey, I need this for an emergency. I might need it next month if my water heater goes or my transmission goes. There's my later money. I don't think it now. I might not need it for a while. But as my clients get into retirement, they're in it for a while. I start to say, now, listen, this third bucket is your never money. You're never going to need this. And so let's, let's think about how we get that where it needs to be, right? Your church has been a major part in your life. This ministry has blessed you for a long time. Let's take your never money and let's figure the most efficient tax wise and the best way to get it to them, whether that's a charitable remainder trust, whether that's a different types of programs. But let's recognize, right, there is going to be a, a segment of your money you're never going to need. And let's be smart about it. Just don't let things fall apart when you're gone. And I'm telling you, I've seen Christian families fight over, you know, a couple dollars. And their parents would be mortified. So let's fix that. Let's just <laughs> give it all away. And then there's nothing to fight about, right? And, and, and so I, I just think, let's start talking about that. You know, we talk about what happens if you go in a nursing home and what happens if you die. That's a big part of our, you know, I'm a financial planner. That's a, that's a little different. Cody understands the well, way you probably do too, Keelan. We're looking at your whole finances, right? Your taxes, your insurance, you know, your estate plan in addition to just investing. Uh, so let's plan that estate plan. Let's remember God in that. Let's be faithful in that. And let's realize that let's find the most efficient ways to get that done. And there are a lot of tools in the shed. They make sense. And they really are a way for you to have impact for a long time to bless these ministries that have been a blessing to you. Well, Andy, I want to dive into something that you've brought up uh, a couple times throughout this episode is you've been on this journey together with your wife, and I can see that brings you joy. And it's important that you are both on the same page when you make decisions about what to spend, what to give, what to pass along. And I, I hope that is commonplace for Christian married couples. But the reality is, and you've seen this as a financial advisor, I've seen it, sometimes one spouse will make a lot of the financial decisions, and the other spouse may be in agreement, but not that well informed. And at some point, 
dynamic may be shifted to the other spouse for, for a brief time or permanently. And you talking about building in capacity for the future financially, and there's all kinds of tools where you can create income streams that will outlive you. But can you share a little bit about the importance of passing on this uh, different type of legacy? It's, it's maybe partly educational, partly walked out as an example, but uh, to build the capacity to give beyond your lifetime and putting work into making sure that will happen, if that makes sense. Uh, th- those are different things. Right. Yeah. So two things there. I, I always try to get both spouses there. And it's interesting that usually there is one that spends the most time and knows it. Historically, it had been men, but not always. You know, the old line, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It was an interesting, you know, thought process. In my career, I've lost a lot of clients over the years, but I've had three different times where a woman will call me to say that her husband has passed. And when I say, I'm so sorry, when did it happen? One was yesterday, one was three hours ago, and one is they're coming for the body right now. It's only been a couple minutes. And, and when it first happened, it rocked me. I thought, why would you call me in such a time? But then I realized they just wanted to know And I would say to them, you're going to be okay. Remember when we met last time, we always did. What happens if one of you passed? Three out of four times, the man's going to go first. So sometimes the wife doesn't want to come to the meetings or or just says, oh, I just let him take. No, you can't do that because it's going to drop on you someday. And it's going to be very overwhelming. And when we paid our house off, my wife was like, you mean nobody can take our house now? And I said, were you concerned about that? And she said, you know, yeah, we, we owed other people. So understand that we see it differently, number one. Understand there should be a partnership. It's okay for one to maybe take an aspect of it, but you need to understand what that looks like and you need to prepare that it might be you handling that alone in the future. Then there is that idea of coming together and saying, okay, let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. But this is a a ministry that I think we both support. And Let's think about how we do that moving forward. And the laws have changed some here with distributions from retirement plans and stuff like that. So if you have non-retirement and retirement, maybe give all the retirement to charities, and then it's not going to be taxed. And the other non-retirement money, you you give out other ways. That's just being efficient, making it easier for your kids because all these changes and required minimum distributions and how and when you take it and they're not done, of course. They're going to keep changing it. So let's talk about how we take care of this in the future. I want to say one thing. It came up a little bit. I do a, I have Thursday mornings, a group of guys get together and we do a Bible study. And we've been doing The Life God Rewards uh, by Bruce Wilkinson. And it, it blows our mind a little bit because we're not doing it for any reward. But Keelan, you talked about that. There are many, many verses where God is faithful and he rewards those. There's a reward. He pays those. This idea for us being faithful to him. Now, I think it's going to be like the talents and stuff. You've been faithful with some. You're going to have responsibilities in the next. And if you read Randy Alcorn's Heaven book, there's a tangible existence I firmly believe in. And it's not going to be we're going to be jealous or better than, but we're going to be made responsible in, in God's economy there. And so I think that idea of being faithful now, being faithful, but coming to it as a couple, wrestling with it sometimes, you know, hey, I'm concerned because I read something or I heard something. Okay, that's fine. Let, what, what are the guardrails we do? But let's come at this together and make joint decisions as we go. And knowing that whatever we're going to miss out on or our kids won't get because we gave it away, forget it. It's nothing in the grain scheme, but educating ourselves, right? I always say with my clients, I'm here to educate you. I'm here to talk to you about some options. And let's think about the idea that you're going to die. You are. And one of you will die first. Let's plan for that. And when you're both gone, what do you want to do? Because the other side of it is retirement comes in three phases, go, go, slow, go, and no, go. And I get a lot of clients to the point where they're going four places. 
They're going to the doctor's office, then they go right to the pharmacy after that. They go to church and the grocery store, and that's their circle. And they're not spending money. And if they don't have high expenses for care at the end of life, they're going to leave a lot of money. So before we get there, while we're still together and our minds are with us, let's really think about how we would want to leave a legacy that honors and continues to glorify Christ. Yeah, that's great advice. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on another, I guess, related idea. How do you introduce the concept of generosity to clients, especially clients who have not really thought much about that or thought in that kind of realm at all? That's very interesting because I have to tell you, we run a projection for people. There's different programs you can use that really models for you. Are you going to have enough? Right. Cause that's the first question. I want to make sure I don't run out of money. Typically three out of four times, as we said, the female's going to outlive. So I want to make sure my wife doesn't have to choose medicine or food. And when we show them using conservative estimates, you're going to leave a lot of money right away. Then we say, boy, let's, let's think about some good things. I'm amazed at the people that, that don't, frankly. And, and we're trying to say, don't leave this for your children. This is, this is too much. It's going to overwhelm them. It's, it's not going to be helpful. And we say, you know, there's an old line, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going, right? That's the old, and you get the smiles. And, 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 but we keep saying, that, that's not healthy. Let's do something. And, and sometimes they just, I don't know whether they don't believe I don't know whether we're still having a generation now that we're young or influenced by the depression. And so that old, oh my, I might run out thing. I I think we're going to see, and it's interesting if you're reading millennials and Gen Zs, I think they might be more thoughtful towards giving. But some of these folks that have amassed a great deal of wealth, I am disappointed, I guess is a strong term, but I just am trying to encourage them to say, you're never going to spend this. I'm going to call you in your 80s one day and you'll have $300,000 in a non-interest bearing checking account. And I'm going to say, that's, you work too hard for let that money fallow. Give it away, do something with it and do it in a way that can impact eternity and get the joy while you can. Don't have somebody when you've passed say, who was that guy and why did he leave us this money? Well, Andy, you mentioned that you're in a a later phase of your career, but what are you excited about when you think about the next five or 10 years in your own life? I'm I'm excited to join up with one of your previous hosts, any of them, and join them in their things. Every time I listen to one of your podcasts, oh, I'm going to be on a year, I'm going to call that person and I'm going to, I'm going to get involved in that, right? Christian stewardship, you know, being that person in the church or teaching other people, to, oh yeah, I want to do that. So that is an interesting thing. And once again, we are caring for elder parents right now. So, and we have seven and an eighth grandchild coming. So I, I don't want to overcommit, but I'm into men's one-on-one discipling. I think that's powerful. How we get that next generation. I think we all should have a Paul that's our mentor and we should all have a Timothy. And but this idea that I have this financial experience, how do I use that to encourage other people? I'm praying about on a daily basis. My uh, obligations in my current position, I have about a year. And so I'm, I'm looking. And if you're not careful, you can overcommit. I knew a woman that retired as a nurse and she was volunteering one place, 30 hours and 20 at another. I said, that's 50 hours of volunteering. (laughs) And and you didn't talk to her for 10 seconds. She didn't witness to you. So she just said, I'm trying to get to as many people as I can. But that's what I'm excited about to say, Lord, maybe it is for me to help my daughters and daughter-in-laws change diapers for a while. That, That might be what he calls me to. The world wouldn't say that is, but maybe it is to help my wife care for elderly parents. It's not glamorous in the world's eyes but they would take care of me and they have. So maybe that's what he's calling me for. But that's, I would say to my clients when they retire, what do you want to do when you grow up? Because now you can do, but I want to say, Lord, use me, Lord. It's got to be where he wants. That's a little scary, but that's what I'm excited to do. I've tried and had the flexibility of running my own business to kind of be on boards and, and, and volunteer and do whatever. But now I need to love and support my wife. She's supported me through a lot of things. So that's one 
family, whatever it is, but Lord, in whatever else you want me to do. I had a friend that was a colonel in the Air National Guard moving billions of dollars around over in Qatar, doing great things. And he and his wife ran our child evangelism fellowship. And people would have said, what a waste. They, what she was, she was a brilliant woman, still is. You know, she knew all this stuff. He had done all these great things. Man, they just went into the schools and they taught the gospel to kids. And in God's economy, that's amazing. So that's what I'm excited about. You know, what can he continue to do through a knucklehead like me? That's what I'm excited for. Yeah, and I'm sure the answer to that is a lot. So, Andy, as we get to the end of every episode, we like to leave our guests with one practical action they can take to step into their roles as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So do you have a suggestion for our listeners today? Yes, I do. I had two and I gave one away already, so that's okay. Bruce Wilkinson has a book called God Pocket. And it's a fascinating read if you get a chance. And I think somebody else has already talked on one of your previous ones where it's, you just keep a, a, an amount of money. Maybe it's 100 or $200 and you just keep it readily available. And you're like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm excited to see who you're going to bring by my path. And I'm really going to knock over by giving this to them. And I'm, I'm ready to do it. I don't own it. It's yours. It's in my pocket. I got my hand ready and, and I'm going to do it. And if you read the, the book and if you try to do it at all, you know, we're in a cashless society now, right? Everybody wants ATM. So I still go and get a pile of cash and I love having an opportunity to see somebody, you know, struggling, you know, a, a single mom at the grocery store and she runs up short for her groceries, bang, pay it and say, this isn't from me. This is God. He put it in my pocket to give to you. I think that's an awesome thing to do. It's really cool. And if you really do it and pray about it, I believe it happens in miraculous ways that it's God just winking at us sometimes. Yep. I have to completely agree with you on that. And that is some of the most rewarding types of giving, I think, just and and so spirit led in, in yeah. just being open to that kind of thing and seeing what God does. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us for sharing all that God has done in and through your life and for sharing all of the wisdom that you have, both as a planner and as just somebody who has deeply thought through a lot of these things. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Praying for you guys. I love your ministry. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard in the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity and purpose and mission? If so, we'd love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. Just a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 84. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.